Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. You make your way with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're almost done with James. Then we are heading toward 1 Peter, just to give you a heads up. And we'll be going through 1 Peter and then 2 Peter. Now, Father, as we turn our hearts toward heaven, would you, by your great Holy Spirit, quiet our hearts before you? We bow before your word because your word is truth. And uh, you are the word. And so, Father, speak to us. These words of life, that we might be blessed and be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. From a news agency in Europe. A married couple from Wales have scooped up their share of a 91 million pound Euro millions jackpot. But a British newspaper is asking, is it the worst thing that has happened to them? Average citizens may not be as rich as those who win the lottery, but there's evidence that they may live longer, happier lives with modest means. Julia Brewer, a Sunday Express reporter, wrote. She cited a survey of 30 of the biggest jackpot winners and said it branded the lottery Britain's biggest marriage wrecker when it found that a third of the respondents said their lives had been ruined by their newfound fortune. Families were torn apart, marriages were ended, and envy, jealousy, and self-sufficiency, false expectations, living to excess, and bad management made for a complicated life for many who had come into money, she writes. Last quote, having a lot of money isn't all what it's cracked up to be, said one of the winners. With wealth comes many pitfalls, and if you're not careful, instead of being a blessing, it will become a curse. Now, I know that most of you, like I, might have been thinking that would never happen to me. (laughs) It would be a sheer blessing only, but you know... The Bible talks about riches and uses an adjective, deceitfulness of riches, something that we all need to be watchful about. Now, this is precisely James' point here in the first few verses of chapter 5. He has saved, as I mentioned this morning, his hottest and strongest rebuke for last. And we're going to hear him call out the wicked rich landowners of first century Israel who were exploiting 
and abusing and even murdering those who worked for them, all in the name of greed. So these people that James is going to call out, they had money, but because they were unbelievers and they lived self-absorbed lives, because of their misuse and their abuse of wealth, James shows that their money really indeed was more of a curse and by no means a blessing. So let's pick up in verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary the Rock. If you're visiting with us this morning for your first time, Jesus loves you. James is a little ticked off, but Jesus does love you. And James is ticked off for a good reason. And we're going to be looking at those reasons today. Now, somebody read ahead, came into my office this morning, popped their head into my office and said, Wow. Am I ever glad I'm not wealthy? (laughs) And then I said, oh, wait a second here. Let's compare down. All right? Let me think about this. I had a choice of cars to come to church this morning. My wife wouldn't see it that way, but because she likes her car. (laughs) But I I did have a choice of one of two cars um, to come. Um, I have a walk-in closet. Well, it's got a lot of stuff in there. Um, I have indoor plumbing, which is, shouldn't be too much of a surprise <laughs> to you. Indoor plumbing, um, a roof that doesn't leak, uh, carpeting hardwood floors in the hallway at least, um, a garbage disposal, a washing machine, a dryer. Um, I got a lot. I've been to parts of the world where I am like a king. I live like a king. I couldn't show them pictures because I was embarrassed. Because you know what they have? A bucket, a hose, and a hole in the ground to go to the bathroom. And two-thirds of the world? So, yeah, few. I'm glad I'm not wealthy. Well, no, I'm not rebuking that that lovely person who came in. I'm saying I have to rethink a little bit. And there will be some truths and insights in this rebuke to non-Christian rich fat cats that I will hear and I will be able, thanks to the Holy Spirit, to to get some truths and insights that will set my own heart free. Because why? Because who can't relate to struggling with financial priorities, with envy, 
And with the love of money and all that, that all those trappings, who doesn't uh, struggle with that? Now, please note right from the jump that to whom James is speaking, I have already given it away. It's not the brothers. You'll notice in verses 7 to 11 that he says brothers, brothers, brothers three times in the next paragraph. But there are no brothers here. There is no call to repentance even. There's no corrective given. Just burning words pronouncing coming judgment on wicked, rich people whose reward was in this life. That's who he's referring to. Cold Calculated, calloused, greedy villains, lusting for power and pleasure, exploiting and defrauding workers, steamrolling over people so that they could get their profits. And so now you might be asking, why would James be denouncing rich non-Christians in a letter addressed to believers? Well, I'm glad you were asking that. Let me answer that for you. It's a common practice in all of Scripture to denounce wickedness and proclaim the coming judgment of the godless. And also, possibly some of these wretched, miserly landowners were churchgoers uh, present to hear the reading of this epistle. You know, Jesus said the weeds and the wheat, a special kind of weed, Imitates or really looks like the wheat. And he says they grow together. And he's saying there are good people, saved people, and unsaved people in the same congregation. And it's very hard to tell who's who. And so in that regard, James knows that there are some weeds that might need to hear that. Uh, One prominent theologian put it this way about James' objectives here in this little paragraph. He said, to help genuine believers not envy the bad guys, good fortune, nor to emulate their lavish and self-indulgent lifestyles. And we talked, uh, we read rather from Psalm 73 where the psalmist was saying, man, I I almost slipped, man. My faith almost came undone. Why? Because I was looking at all the rich people in the world with no problems. And here I am serving God and I'm barely eking out a living and suffering and striving. Now look at them, they're arrogant and proud and godless and rich. He said, that almost did it for me. And then he said, oh, then I went to church one day and I thought about the end. And then he said, oh, my sanity was uh, restored. And so also to remind believers that God would avenge them of the wrongs suffered. Some of these workers were Christians that were being exploited and killed. And to remind believers that the pursuit of righteousness, that means always to be right with God, and not the pursuit of wealth that really will matter in the end. So let's kind of eavesdrop on these six verses, kind of uh, reflect on the seething denunciation of the ungodly's misappropriation of wealth and find in it some truths to keep us safe from the love of money, which the Bible says is the root of all evil. James is really giving these unbelieving fat cats... um, Really, two things. Something to cry about and something to think about. That's how we'll divide our thoughts up this morning. All right? So you note takers. Number one, something to cry about. Well, shocking, isn't it, to imagine that millionaires and billionaires have any reason to be sad 
let alone be weeping and howling in misery. It just doesn't really make too much sense from a humanistic point of view. But Jesus will point out in Luke chapter 12 to be rich with material goods in this life and then come to the end and stand before God, poor toward God, rich in the world, he says, will be an utter disaster. And so here's the paraphrase. They're they're crying. They need to cry because of the reversal of fortune that is coming upon them. Here's the paraphrase kind of expanded. Okay, listen up, you godless rich people. Soon the bank account will be empty. The party will be over and the luxurious lifestyle will come to an end. Brace yourselves for your awful destiny If you only knew what's waiting for you, you'd be weeping uncontrollably. So that's my little expanded paraphrase. And why should they be crying? They should be crying because of the terrible irony of it all. To have all of that wealth and all of that resource and all of that luxury. And then to no avail. Instead of being a blessing, to be a curse, to be a noose around their neck, to be a stumbling block. And that eternally. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus' words. You say, oh, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize from God's perspective, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The reason they need to cry is because things are not always what they appear to be. You know, let's contemporize a little bit. Faithless Hollywood stars step out of limousines and the paparazzi are making a big scene as they run from one opulent party to the next shindig. Godless celebrities live in castles and own islands and all that goes with that. Immoral politicians fly around in private jets and live in the lap of luxury with no thought of God at all. And the world may say they've got it made, and they may say to themselves, I've got it made. And in this life, they do. The Bible says in Psalm 17, verse 14, by your hand, save me from evil people, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. They're in this life, and they have a big reward. And it's beautiful and luxurious and it's uh, wonderful as wonderful goes. Except James isn't talking about now. James is saying the reason you need to be howling in misery, weeping and gnashing your teeth is for what's coming in the future. We're not talking about what you have now. It's what is coming as the clock ticks away. So your destiny, for it is appointed by God, wants to die, and then the judgment. Doesn't matter, Christian or no. You die, you go back to God who gave your, you your life to begin with, and you will have some explaining to do. <laughs> That's another paraphrase by Lucy Ricardo. Or it's the LRV, Lucy Ricardo version. Okay, moving on. (laughs) All right, well, James isn't um, getting down on stuff. Let's just start right there at the beginning. 
Stuff is stuff, and stuff has no moral value at all, basically, what I'm talking about. There is no problem with limos. There's no problem owning a private island. There's no problem with pricey real estate. There's no problem. There's no morality issues with the diamond, the diamond itself. That's not good or bad or ugly. Well, it could be, I guess. I don't know about diamonds so much. But there's no, nothing moral about a car. A car is a car. It's the heart, God talks about, behind the wheel. Makes the difference about what's going on, morally speaking. No problem with modern conveniences of owning land or big houses or taking vacations or having nice chariots or, or having savings accounts. No problem at all. They're not condemned because they're rich. They're condemned because their pursuit of money and wealth was at the expense of a pursuit of God. They loved money, pleasure, and self, and luxury more than God. And without a relationship with God, none of that stuff matters. I love this quote. Greed is the logical response of the belief that there is no life after death or God in heaven. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. We eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, wealth in the right hands and with the right heart, people who serve God, is a good thing. Wealth is a good thing. Genesis 13.2, Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Isaac and Jacob were the same. The patriarchs, the forefathers of our faith, were wealthy. First Chronicles 29.28 says about Solomon, he died at a good old age having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. The Bible doesn't say it's just for kings. He says, the Bible says, that is, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are stre- is strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Job was rich, and Zacchaeus was rich, and Jesus accepted him as a follower, and Joseph of Arimathea. The list can go on and on and on. Wealth isn't the problem. Stuff isn't the problem. It's the heart. Now, um, why they need to cry is the missed opportunities, because in the right hands... Wealth is an immeasurable help to others. Uh, Wealth provides for the poor, shares uh, with others in need, builds orphanages, schools, and hospitals, alleviates suffering, sustains missionaries. It advances the kingdom of God. Wealth can build churches and support ministries. It can distribute uh, gospel literature all over the world. So wealth rightly handled is a reason for joy and anticipation for eternal reward. But in the wrong hands, in the wrong heart, it is immeasurably harmful. Now, number one, really, it's the false sense of security. Um, 
verses 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, and gold and your silver are corroded. Now, in the ancient world, there were uh, wealth consisted of three general categories. One was foodstuffs in an agrarian society that, you know, they had grain and wheat and barley and produce, and those things were like money to us today. Also, clothing, elaborate robes that were used for different occasions were also used for payment. You could make payments with sets of robes and clothing and also silver and gold, which has hung around even to this day. Now, here's what's going on here. James is saying those three categories where you have all your riches are so transitory, fleeting, and very vulnerable to loss. And as Jesus said, who is James' half-brother, Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's what James is saying. He's saying, as far as the food, you've hoarded in big barns and rats have come in, And it's soured, and it's contaminated, and it's gone moldy. It's gone. It's of no value to you. And the moths, your clothes, you know, they come in, and the little larva eats uh, the material of your robes and makes it down to tattered garments, and your silver and gold, the precious metals even tarnish and fade. And so James is pointing that out, that it's no good to you. It's worthless. And, And here's his point. He says, You've done what Jesus warned against. You wrapped your whole heart up in worthless things, vulnerable to loss and destruction and corruption. And now your heart, your life, your eternal hope, your whole life where Jesus is where your your heart is, there you will find your treasure. James is saying you put everything on the line and you attach, you hitched up your eternal soul to worthless things that can't deliver you in the day of judgment. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11, 4. Weep and cry because you're the wealthiest person on the earth and your wealth can't buy what you need most of all. It's a pass out of hell and into heaven and you can't slide a card for that. You can't buy your way in because you're not redeemed by gold or silver, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God doesn't take the kind of currencies and says, what a fool to just to wrap your entire life up and stuff that one glance and poof, it's all gone. When I was in uh, UCSF having a bone marrow transplant, I met many Patients. I was in the hospital, as I told you many times, 63 days at UCSF. I made many friends on the 11th floor. And one of them was a friend of mine, and he had an incurable thing that they were trying to get rid of. And he said, funny thing, my father is a famous neurosurgeon, a famous brain surgeon. My mother is a renowned psychotherapist. 
We live in a, the priciest place in San Francisco in a gated community. He has servants for servants. And no one can save me from this dreaded disease. And I said, let me tell you about my father. He's a great physician. He lives in a gated community. <laughs> and he can cure you of something worse than the C word, cancer. Sin. He can give you eternal life. Who cares about your cancer? I do not care about your cancer. I care about where you're going after the cancer. And my father can give you a pass, a free pass. What do I got to do to get that pass? What do I got to pay? I'll call my father. He's got resources. Here's the sting of hell. Nothing. Free. What do you mean nothing? It's grace of God, not by works, lest any man boast. The grace of God. Well, it sounds too good to be true. Well, sorry, there will probably be people who perish because of that thought in their head. It sounds too good to be true. So he says, you need to be weeping and gnashing your teeth, guys, because it's not going to be pretty when you stand before God, and he says, what, what does he say? Interesting line there. Their corrosion will testify against you, the corrosion, rather, of the stuff, will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Sorry, but that's James. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know who's going to be on the prosecution team? Your rancid treasure. Your treasures, all God has to do is open the books and say, well, what kind of assets did he have on earth? And there they all are, rotting away, stored up. This is what this guy was all about. Barns and barns and barns and accounts and accounts and accounts and stuff and stuff and stuff. So much so and not being used that it's rancid and tattered and torn and nothing. And he says that that will be the sting the corrosion and the waste and the corruption of, of what you lived for will be the sting in eternity that that's what kept you from eternal life. He says, exhibit A will be all of that stuff that you stored up for you, yourself. And just like the guy in Luke chapter 12, you have to give an account at the end of all that self-indulgent um, lifestyle. Uh, here's the quote here from Luke 12. Uh, the rich guy with the barns with no room in his heart for God. He says, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my old barns and big, bigger ones. And then I'll store all my stuff all my grain and all my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded from you. Then who will get all the stuff you prepare for yourself? And then Jesus said, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up stuff for himself but is not rich toward God. And so, yeah, there's reasons to weep. The word for weep is to lament and, and to cry out, but not in repentance. It's just to be caught 
unawares by the judgment of God and realize, whoa, I'm on the other side. That kind of weeping. And to wail was that Old Testament prophet wailing of just gloom and doom, realizing that they've lived as an enemy of God, and then he appears. Well, uh, point two. Now some things to think about, which are essentially James pressing charges against them. Uh, verses four through six. And uh, he's handing down the indictment. There are like four of them real quick. They're right there in front of you. Um, here's what he's saying. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Um, here's the expanded paraphrase. Here we are living in a day when Christ's return is imminent. And instead of using the resources for the king's business, who's standing right at the door, you've piled it all up for yourself. How foolish is that? Now, for your information, when the Bible says uh, you've stored all the stuff in the last days, why does James say in the last days? He's saying that Christ could come at any moment, and we ought to be managing our lives with the perspective that Christ can appear at any second. That's why he's saying you did this and you did it not only, you didn't do it uh, before Jesus came. You're doing it in a time when that Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has been given. That marks the first day of the end times and that Jesus can return. So if we were in the last times, the last years, 2,000 years ago, then we're in the last seconds now. So James is saying, of all the times for you to be about me, 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 and me, is not when Jesus is at the door. Because he's going to open the door, come through, and then you can talk to him about how you invested your life. And not, I'm not just talking about money there. So indictment number one, hoarding. They were guilty of hoarding. Now, what hoarding is not? It is wise to save. It is commendable to leave an inheritance for not only your children, but Proverbs says your children's children. That would be a lot of money or a lot of property. It's a good thing to be fiscally prudent. Listen to this. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever. So be smart. A crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. Be prudent. Have a savings account. Have investments. It's not hoarding to do those things. Proverbs 21.20 says, listen to this. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. He's saying wise people have savings. You can go down in the basement and see, wow, stores of stuff, but their hearts are right and they live balanced lives and the stuff isn't running them. They're running the stuff under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that's wisdom. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff and savings accounts and passing things on. You're not hoarding things. Uh, let me say this little caveat. 
If the Holy Spirit tells you you're holding on something that you need to let go and you don't struggle with an overactive conscience, then you should let that go and you are hoarding. I mean, it's so easy in this sermon to be, you must be doing mental gymnastics out there. Well, does he mean this? Oh, oh good, he doesn't mean that. Well, okay, then I'm okay here. Oh, no, maybe I'm, yeah, I know. I'm doing the same stuff up here while I'm talking to you. Listen, my friend, do not get crazy, but listen to the Holy Spirit. And when you start to justify something and God's put his finger on something, I mean, one time he, he, he told me before we went to Japan to have a yard sale, but to give it away, to donate it. It was on my heart to donate it to Fuller Housing, where I was at Fuller Seminary. We were going to donate it. And then I changed my mind because I thought, well, we could get a few hundred bucks from all this stuff. Not one person came to that yard sale. <laughs> I was in the street like this. I, I mean, I was like, okay, we'll try signs and balloons and, and put up for It was the yard sale curse of the century. Nobody came. Nobody was interested. I don't know. We made 24 cents. You know, it, when God tells you to do something, you're like, it's just stuff. It's what is it going to come to? It's this or that or the other thing. The Holy Spirit is alive. This is not a religion. This is a relationship with God. He knows what you all have and what I have. He knows when the closet's too full and stuff needs to go and we need to stop buying and budget better so we can give more to what really matters. He knows all of that stuff. Amen? amen. You wanted to say amen. I saw it on your face. So <laughs> I'd give you permission. All right. So hoarding's an attitude of the heart. Failure to share your plenty with those in need, all right? Uh, secondly, they were guilty of not paying people they owed. Jesus let us see a little bit of what he's talking about in Matthew 20 when he talked about the parable of the day laborers who he sends into his vineyard. Uh, they lived uh, hand to mouth. They didn't have any contract. They were day laborers who got their pay at the end of the day. But these guys were like, oh, uh, can you come back tomorrow? And after tomorrow, uh, there was something that didn't get finished. And as soon as you finished that, and technically you didn't do this right, so I'm going to give you a pay to the next time. And so that's what they were doing to them. There were laws on the books. Deuteronomy 24. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset, because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. There are dozens of those kinds of scriptures in the Old Testament. So what happened here, here is the wages you failed to pay your workmen who gathered in your crops are crying out against you. The workers you owe payment to have cried out to God and he's heard them and is going to do something about them. The wheat and the barley harvest had to be cut manually and shocked by hand. And here's the sad part. At the harvest time, when people were celebrating and they were having thanksgivings 
Jewish thanksgivings, the feasts, and all of these things were happening. And, and they were sitting there at tables elaborately with the very income and resources that those laborers provided. A sumptuous feast. And these guys who did the hard work were not getting paid. It was just a heinous, unconscionable crime. And so I like this quote, to condemn to hunger those who labors supply us with bread is a crime that cries out to heaven. James says two cries have gone up. Number one, unpaid wages are shouting from the landowner's bank account. So James uses a word to loudly scream, and he, uh, as the same word that describes the demons leaving a body that shriek. And James is saying, your bank account is shrieking up to heaven as saying vengeance for these people. That's not your money. That money belongs to those who worked for you and you ought to pay them. Do not say to your neighbor who comes to you today, go and come back and I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you Today, the book of Proverbs. The second cry, let me say that first cry from an inanimate object like the blood of Abel. Cain killed his brother out of envy and jealousy. And Hebrews says that that blood cried out to God. Same, he's saying the the gold in your coffers, in your vault, is crying out. Secondly, the cry is of the laborers themselves into the ears of the Lord of the armies of heaven. And James uses the NIV has Lord Almighty there. That's Lord Sabaoth, meaning the Lord of hosts. So the shout out to the King James that says the Lord of the hosts because that's what it is. NIV just says the all-powerful one, but he is the leader of the armies of heaven. James wants to just toss that in. You know, by the way, their cries are going to the one who controls the armies of heaven. So let us pay our debts. What it is about Christians, what is it about Christians who are slow to pay their debts? I am not talking about being in need. What is it about us that take advantage of uh, Christian construction workers who help us out, Christian plumbers, Christian dentists? Why do we just think, well, it doesn't really matter because they're Christians? Now, if a Christian says to you, I'm giving this to you. I'm not charging you. I always like to do something back to them anyway. But you feel it out. But if they don't say anything like that, you need to pay them. 31 years I've been in the ministry, I've heard terrible stories about Christians who defraud one another and take advantage and owe people money. If you owe somebody money, you ought not go to frozen yogurt. You ought not go to buy rims for your car. You ought not go to buy 
uh, discretionary things until you pay your debt. Owe no one anything. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Except the debt to love them. Let us live above reproach and pay our bills on time. This mentality, oh, Jesus is coming any day now, so charge it up, you know? (laughs) I think that some of us are going to hear about stuff like that, you know? Well, yeah, moving on. They were guilty of self-indulgence. Now, for two-thirds of the world, we all live in luxury. And, you know, we're all grateful about that. I don't think anybody in this room should feel uh, badly about living in a beautiful place with indoor and outdoor plumbing and all of this, these beautiful things and uh, grateful not to wish to return to primitive uh, lifestyles. Um, this is not what he's talking about. Uh, living comfortably, enjoying modern conveniences, celebrating occasions, taking vacations, uh, pampering ourselves once in a while. That is not biblical sin of self-indulgence. And again, with the caveat, the Holy Spirit speaks to every heart. For some people, the Lord says, no, you won't be doing that. And for others, he says, go ahead, enjoy. Now, you'll have to be in one's heart to know what to do in those cases. But biblical sin of self-indulgence is this, that over-the-top, soft, the word means to be soft, to be kind of that cushy extravagance in heart that idolizes pleasure. It's that lustful, unbridled, gulping down consumerism, more, 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 pleasure, 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 me, 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 me. That's what self-indulgence is all about. Jesus said, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his uh, possessions. So it's really these godless, vile people live cushy, cushy lives and have the best and the finest and the biggest and the grandest that the world has to offer. And it's all for them. And James just has a terrible, terrible picture. He says, you fed and fed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and, and intake and intake and intake until, he says, you know what it reminds me of? The fattened calf. Before the slaughter. It's not a pretty picture. But you know, Lord willing, words like this sometimes, the bottom line, in hopes that it will cause somebody to repent. Sometimes it's not the pat on the back and the hug and the tolerant and the loving thing. Sometimes it's the slap across the face that is necessary And if all things have been tried, I think the slap across the face uh, with verbal harshness. I I told one lady who just was arguing, there is no God and you're all deluded and uh, you're doing more harm as a pastor than any good. And I said to her, eternity is a long time to be wrong. 
Eternity is a long time. So if James gets a little crazy here, folks, there is some uh, semblance of love in his heart for any lost soul who would go that far. And then the last thing to say is they were guilty of murder. So now what was happening there? How were they killing these poor laborers? Well, the, the laborers would say, well, I'll take you to court. And so they would go to court. And the rich landowners would bribe the judges and then turn it around on them and say, oh, you're going to sue me? Well, I've got evidence. Oh, yes, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me about that. And then they turn up missing. But they were behind. They owned the courts. They owned the judges. So these poor Christian laborers would go to court and say, you know, I haven't been paid. And they would end up accused of some terrible thing. You know what? He stole or he raped one of the servants or he insulted my wife and we've got proof. And they drag him out of town and stone him. Now do you see why James is saying, oh, you guys need to be howling right now. Howl. And be miserable because the day of wrath is coming at last. And so our final reflections really on this for me is to be on guard in my own heart. I want to run the race with perseverance that's set before me. I, like you, I hope, want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you think that every Christian who crosses that line is going to hear that accolade, you're mistaken. There will be Christians that get none of that well done, good and faithful stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Read that. There are those who get there by the skin of their teeth and they're still singed by smoke. Uh, When they get there, that's what he says, as saved as though through fire. You mismanage the funds. You're not going to hear Thou good and faithful servant. Jesus said this, and I close. How will God be able to entrust you with heavenly responsibility when you couldn't even mismanage your earthly responsibilities? When we get there, we're going to be given rewards and responsibilities. So God help us all to take how we live our lives, how we spend our time and energies and all of our resources, our talents and our money in a way that is balanced and thoughtful and sensitive and under the lordship and guidance of God our Father. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love of us. And we all confess we have fallen short in many ways when it comes to managing monies and our time and envying the rich and not being content with what we have and using people and not paying our debts on time and all of these things. Father, God, thank you for payment being made On our behalf, Jesus' blood, that's enough. And all of these things, if we're confessing and repenting 
and limping in the right direction, you say you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So all of this, all of the sin in all of our hearts, we lay before you now as we close with this reflection in song and then prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.